This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and questions about stuff going on in your life. All you need to do is to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we got a lot going on this weekend. I hope and pray that you do as well. Uh, before we get to the questions, a reminder, tonight I'll be finishing the short series that we have done on marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. And at the end of the uh, study tonight, uh, it'll be a little bit shorter than normal. We're going to open the floor for questions, and Paula will be on stage with me if you have anything you'd like to join us, you can do that. If you want to watch on live stream, calvarysa.com. Uh, we won't have the question and answer session online. Everything else we will, but we won't have the Q&A online. So that's tonight. And then, of course, Sunday, believe it or not, is the final day of... I'm sorry, it's the final day of uh, January. How quickly it's gone. Uh, I don't mind when time flies so fast in the wintertime, but boy, this month has really flown by, and we're about to head into a new month. Okay, well, let's get to some questions while we await your phone calls. Here is the first question from our email inbox from Kim. Um, She says, Pastor Ron, for lack of better words, could you please explain the cast of characters we read about in Revelation 17? One thing that caught my eye is the wording of verse 8, and how it closely resembles what we say about Jesus, who was and is and is to come. Thank you very much, Kim. And yes, I am a female. <laughs> Thank you for that, Kim, because I don't know sometimes with some of the names. Um, yeah, let me share a little bit about Revelation 17. I, I think uh, we're getting uh, pretty close to Revelation chapter 17 uh, being carried out in the world. By that, I mean the, the rapture of the church is... I think imminent. I think every day we're closer and closer to it. Uh, and Revelation chapter 17, of course, we're going to be in heaven when all this happens. Uh, but but this is the, the stuff that's going to go in the world. 
Uh, the first character is a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Now, we saw the beast in Revelation chapter 13. Of this scarlet beast, it says that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. Um, this is just another really graphic picture of what religion has evolved into. So the idea here is um, the woman in chapter 13, of course, uh, is Israel. In this particular case, the Antichrist uh, is the beast. Uh, that's where his power comes from. Um, the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet. Um, uh, this woman resembles the beast, resembles the Antichrist. Um, we all become more like the God we serve. Um, and it says she was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Now, remember, this is portraying false religion. And uh, to the world, all this kind of glitter and all this pomp is attractive, uh, being clothed with luxurious things. But from God's perspective, uh, she's seeing this woman as she really is, filthy, filled with abominable things. Um, that she's identified um, by the writing on her forehead as Mystery Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes, and the abomination of the earth. Um, this gets back to the mysteries that we see unveiled in the book of Revelation. And there's much more in view here than just physical Babylon. Now, when we get to 17 and 18, chapter 18, of course, there's going to be uh, economic Babylon or the the... the economic world system. Um, but in this particular case, the mystery is the false religions or uh, Babylon uh, in scripture, a symbol of confusion. Um, um, Babylon is just false religion and that's why it's so evil. And it goes on and on and on. Um, the woman uh, that was drunk with the blood of the saints, Kim, is just a, um, a picture of what false religion has done to the people that God died for uh, from the very, very beginning. So that's kind of the thing uh, that's going on. Now, you mentioned um, the, the wording. In verse 8, it says, The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and goes to his destruction. Um, this is simply the source of the beast's power. Uh, this is uh, Jesus uh, was and is and is to come. Um, so in from the beginning... But here, the beast, from the beginning, the only desire is to destroy the people of God. And in the Great Tribulation, remember, that's where all of the focus is. It's, it deals back with Israel. So they're trying to focus on destroying the people of God who are religious. I mean, that's the way it was. So, uh, Kim, I hope that helps. I've got a whole commentary on Revelation chapter 17 online at uh, calvarysa.com. And uh, we'd love to have you uh, take a look at it. It's all for free. Hope that helps a little bit. Thank you, Kim. Appreciate you listening. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is the next question that I have. Um, this one comes from Ariana. Um, hello, Pastor Ariana. This is from our email inbox. I'm wondering if people can die without hearing about Jesus, or does the Lord show himself to everyone before they pass? You know, Ariana, all we know is that anybody who's seeking the, the truth about God is going to find it. Uh, the people that don't want to know, um, God gives us, uh, uh, reveals himself to us in creation. He reveals himself to us in conscience. 
uh, the man, the woman, no matter where they are, no matter what time of history they live, if they're seeking God, we're promised that if we seek him, he will be found by us. And so that ultimately leads to Jesus. I had a question last week um, that was similar to this, Ariana. And I used the example of the Ethiopian eunuch who in the book of Acts was in uh, Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. He was a, a proselyte, a converted Jew. Um, but, but he really was seeking God. And God went out of his way to send Philip from a thriving ministry in Samaria. He sent Philip down uh, the road to Gaza and, and suddenly there, there he was next to the Ethiopian eunuch. Whatever God has to do to reveal himself to people who are really looking, they're going to find him um, because Jesus is going to find them. So it's really important. Now people die in this world without hearing the name of Jesus. But if they responded to their creation says if they responded to their conscience, if they, they look at the God who created the earth, the sun in the east every morning, sets in the west every evening, if they respond to that, God is going to reveal himself to them. That's how it all started, by the way, with Abraham. With Abraham, Ariana, uh, he and his family were idol worshipers. And what we can presume about Abraham is that he was really looking for God. He he saw the emptiness in making idols and then bowing down to worship them or to or, or offering sacrifices to them. And because he did, uh, the truth is that that uh, one day he goes out. I'm sure he was really discouraged. You know, there's got to be more than this. We've all most of us come to that point in our lives, and suddenly here's the name Abraham. Abram and, and the God who knew his name was calling him. And everything changed. And just as God revealed himself to Abraham, who was a seeker, Ariana, he will reveal himself to anybody and everybody who is seeking, no matter where they come from, no matter what religion or, or uh, religious system they are connected to. So good question, Ariana. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Ronald. He says, why doesn't the Bible talk about Jesus being tempted sexually if he was tempted in all ways as we are? Um, Ronald, um, Jesus, when it says he was tempted in all ways as we are, it doesn't mean that he was tempted with the same specific temptations. What it means is that he was tempted at all points in his life. From the time uh, he was a little boy, we see him uh, in Jerusalem at 12 years of age. So so just as we were tempted at 12 years of age, Jesus was tempted at 12 years of age, but he was also tempted all the way up through his life into the Garden of Gethsemane. So he was tempted at all points in his life. Temptation never left him in the same way that temptation never leaves us, with one notable exception, and that's the fact that Jesus was tempted to a far greater degree than any of us have ever been tempted simply because he was tempted all the way. He kept saying, no, typically we give in to temptation, but we don't have to. Jesus didn't. Now, here's another thing you have to understand, Ronald, and this addresses the theological issue of the, 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 the impeccability of Jesus. It means uh, his ability to sin. Could Jesus have sinned? And the answer is no. When temptation came to Jesus, now when the devil tempts you, Ronald, or when he tempts me, we, he tempts us with things that we 
are attracted to. He doesn't tempt us with something that we don't like. I, I've never had a drink of alcohol, and and, and the, the devil is not going to come up and and tempt me with with alcohol. Come on, let's go get a drink. That's just not going to happen. He knows that's not something I'm going to do. I'm not interested in. Because when I first tasted alcohol as a as a high schooler, I spit it out. I never even swallowed it. It was so foul. Well, all sin is that foul to Jesus. You know, when the devil tempted him in the wilderness, Jesus didn't say, you know, boy, I'm hungry. That sounds pretty good. No, he didn't. He just responded with what was written in the word. All sin, all temptation is uh, anathema to Jesus. It, it just It's not something you would ever consider the way we consider it. So Jesus being tempted sexually, when he would look at a woman who might be the source of temptation as his father's daughter, his sister. I mean, Jesus wouldn't even consider that. Jesus preferred to be in the presence of his father. And sin and temptation had no place for it. So he was tempted as we are to a far greater degree. But when we look at temptation and we're slightly attracted to it, Jesus was just the opposite. Temptation repulsed him. And so he just never got near. Jesus could not have sinned because he didn't have a sin nature. You do, Ronald. I do. And that's why temptation is appealing to us, our flesh anyway. But Jesus had no sin nature at all. Love that question, Ronald. Good good question. Thank you very, very much. Hey, 340-9585 is the number for your live calls and questions. Toll free 877-630-KSLR. Danny asks, Pastor Ron, is Satan behind sicknesses? and diseases, is there a way to bind the devil from being able to attack us physically? Um, Danny, here's what we know biblically. We know that the only way Satan can touch somebody who belongs to God is to have the permission of God to do it. We have two examples in Scripture where Satan was the direct cause of of, uh, sin. Just two. Job, of course, in the Old Testament. And Job had to... um, I have God's permission to do it. And the other, of course, in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. Um, the Apostle Paul, a messenger of Satan, was permitted by God to buffet him in the flesh. So, Danny, for the rest of us, Satan is not behind physical illness nor disease. Now, let me explain something. It might sound like I'm talking out of the other side of my mouth. Satan has the, the power, the supernatural power, to sort of, and so do his powerful demons, to make us think we're sick. Um, you know, I suffered for many, many years with migraine headaches. Um, I, I've, over the years, I've, I've, I've discovered it was uh, an allergic, uh, allergic reaction to certain preservatives. Um, but when Satan, uh, when I, I, I was going to serve one night, and uh, Satan, um, um, I, I just got, what if I felt deathly ill. My head hurt as bad as it's ever hurt. And I remember taking a walk, really quick walk with the Lord. And I just said, you know, I've got to go do this service. I've already committed to it. And so I'm not going to refuse to go. So I need your help. I need your strength, Lord. And, and, and I just said, I'm going to do it anyway. And instantly, 
Danny, the, the headache went away. Instantly. It was, it was Satan, I believe, creating uh, or recreating impression of that sickness. And so um, um, I realized that was him. It was a spiritual battle, and it was gone. So Satan, if he's able to touch your body, Danny, it's only with the permission of God, and that will always result in the glory for God and, and God using you to do something marvelous through. So don't listen to prosperity teachers, health and wealth teachers, binding the devil. Don't talk to the devil. Uh, just remember that if Satan has been able to touch you physically, Satan doesn't give cancer and Satan doesn't give you cold and Satan doesn't give you the flu and Satan doesn't give us COVID-19. But if you are sick and Satan's the cause, it's under the direct supervision with permission from God. And that should comfort us all because we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So don't spend time talking to the devil. Don't worry about what he can do with you physically. Uh, usually when you're sick, it's just because you're sick. hope that makes sense. We go to the phones now. We've got... Oh, my friend Tanya from San Leandro, California. Tanya, good to hear from you. How are you doing? Hi, Papa. It's me and Marcus. Say hi to Marcus. Hi, Marcus. Hi, we on. Uh, it's going really well. Good to hear from you. It's good to hear your voice, Papa. We have a question. We're studying Acts um, as a family uh, during the week. And last night we were studying Acts 21. And Marcus had a really good question about verse 4. I'll let him read it because I'm driving. Um, and we were confused about, uh, well, I'll let him read it, but the confusion was about being led through the Spirit. Um, so we were confused. I'll let Marcus read the verse, and then we'll ask our question again. Because uh, in the verse it says, uh, it's actually 1 verse 4, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So we were confused as to, like, like, was it, like, through the Spirit, like, like the Holy Spirit told them to discern upon Paul to not go? Or what? Or, or, or they were, like, like relating to him through the Spirit, like, oh, you shouldn't go, because bad things are going to happen to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, this is interesting, uh, Marcus and Tanya, because when, when uh, Paul was going to Jerusalem, uh, he says everywhere he went, uh, the, the, the prophets in the town warned him not to go. Now, when we read something like that, we think, well, Paul, what, why didn't you listen to him? But see, I believe with all my heart, this was a test. This was a test. You know, it's required, First uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, it's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. And I think in this particular case, Paul knew he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem, yet he knew he had to go. He knew that was the will of God. And yet when he goes in these or through these different cities, um, he's got all these prophets coming to him and say, and they're telling him the truth. Uh, the, the dramatic prophet Agabus was one of them. And he, he took the, the belt and said, the man who owns this belt is going to be tied up this way. Uh, and, and so they were telling him the truth. And yet Paul didn't. He listened to him, but he didn't discern that being a, a word from God saying not to go. So I think it was just a test. He committed to go. He was going to do exactly what God told him, no matter the danger. 
So this wasn't a mistake. This wasn't Paul being unwilling to listen. This was just the Apostle Paul committed to the course that God set before him. And I think was a powerful witness to the people in the cities where he would travel through. You're going to a place that you know is scary. And, and his answer would be, yes, I've got to go. What did Job say? God gives, God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, that's a kind of approach that Paul had here, guys. And, and you know, uh, personally, um, I, I had that same kind of experience when uh, Paul and I, 25 plus years ago now, when we were headed to San Antonio, we had people that we loved, people that we knew loved us, tell us not to go. They told us that we hadn't heard from the Lord uh, Texas is the South, and, and you're in a mixed marriage. It was a lot different 25 years ago. Uh, and so you shouldn't go. And, and that, for us, was a test. We knew it was a test. And the fact that we went was simply us choosing uh, to go with Jesus to a hard place rather than stay where we were in a safer place because we, we knew even from the beginning that being with Jesus was the only safe place. So that's what's happening with Paul and these prophets. He didn't listen then. There are some people who are critical of Paul. He, they, they will say, well, the prophets told him he shouldn't have gone. But we all of us know. All we got to do is read the, the rest of the book of Acts and his epistles. And we know that it was the Lord who was sending, sending him to uh, Jerusalem. And we knew, as he knew the whole time, what the consequences would be. So that's what was going on. Does that make sense? Oh, yes, Papa, it does. Oh, okay, good. Oh, we're here, good. Papa. Thank you, guys. Be be careful out Thanks, there. Here, the weather's bad. Well, what, today's a sunny day today, so we we're, the rain's going your way now. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want it. Be we safe, don't want Papa. it. Thank you. We love you. God bless you guys. Love you too. Oh, I miss them so much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Joy says, "I'm not sure. I am chosen." Should I refrain from taking communion? Um, Joy, if you've professed faith in Jesus Christ, you're chosen by God. If you believe that he is the Son of God, if you believe that he was murdered on the cross, if you believe that he didn't stay dead, that he rose uh, from the dead, if you believe that he's coming back again, you're chosen, and that's the reason you should take communion not refrain from taking communion. Now, I, I, I understand you're probably in a church that is teaching um, sovereign grace. They, they don't use the word sovereign. But um, when they're talking about election and we don't know who's chosen, God chooses some for heaven and some for hell. Um, joy, it's, a, it's an unhealthy church. And you, need to, you need to find uh, another church. Um, but I can assure you, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God the Son. If you believe that he came once, he died, he didn't stay dead, and he's coming again, you're chosen. Now, you say, well, how do I know I believe if I don't know that I'm chosen? Well, let me tell you how you can know. You can make that choice right now, Joy. You can make that decision right now. Jesus, I believe in who you are. I believe in what you've done. And by faith, I ask you to come into my heart. And that's what it means to be born again. And um, literally, no one can say Jesus is the Lord except by the Spirit of God. Now, we can say it with our lips, but, but when it comes from the heart, Joy, that's a result of you being chosen. So please, please, please 
Stop listening to people that tell you you can never know for sure if you're chosen. Um, you know, one of the tenets of, of Calvinism uh, that I reject, but one of the tenets is eternal security. God wants you to be secure in your salvation. And so go to the table, take communion, and enjoy it. And let it sort of be a relief. Take the pressure off of you. And just know that you belong to the one who holds you in his hands from which no one can snatch you. Believe in your chosen. If you're not sure you believe, you can believe right now and know you're chosen. If you say, well, I, I don't know, I'm not going to believe, then I guess you're not chosen. But you're in church. You want to take communion. Joy, you're chosen if you believe. That's really sad. That is the kind of thing that always is a little bit frustrating for me as a pastor. You know, one of the things that we have to deal with often as pastors is sort of helping people unlearn some of the mistakes that they've learned um, um, through bad teaching. And uh, joy, I can promise you, God wants your heart filled with joy. He wants you to trust him. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning of verse 13, says that you're sealed with the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. You can't get any more belonging to Jesus than that. We have 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand in for life. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to our second half of the program when i signed off and said our last 30 minutes of the week he said no it's your last 30 minutes of january at least on the radio uh 340-9585 here's a question from Sari. I hope I'm saying that right. Sorry, S-A-R-I. Uh, she says, I'm troubled by the high standard of living I see in many pastors and their families. How much should pastors make, especially in light of the troubled economic, economic times that we are in? Um, sorry, you've, you found a sympathetic ear here. I too am troubled by the high standard of living I see in, in way, way, way too many pastors especially those with big churches. Um, I firmly believe that a pastor should make uh, about the, the average standard of living of his congregation. Now, obviously, um, I'm in San Antonio, Texas, and when, when um, I, this isn't a place where people make tons and tons of money, so whatever the average is here, um, that's what we should make. Now, I'll, I'll be very upfront with you. I make way, 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 way less, way less. Um, I take as little as I, I need to take to live um, out, out of this church. And so um, uh, I, I, I really believe what I'm telling you. Um, at the same time, uh, what about the pastor that lives in Newport Beach, California? Or ministers there? And they make, because everybody there is rich, uh, it's not any harder to be a pastor there than it is to be a pastor here. 
And yet still, uh, cost of living, everything else, I think uh, it's fair for that pastor to make the, the median average of the people who come to his church in terms of salary and benefits. So um, uh, I, too, am troubled when I see uh, pastors making huge, huge numbers. I have friends uh, who are, are making uh, upwards of a half million dollars a year and more as pastors. And, and it's true, they've got huge churches um, but but that's, to me, really, really troubling. I think at some point, sorry, you cease to be a servant of the people that you minister to if you're living at a standard of living that is way, way higher than anything um, that, that the people they're ministering to could possibly enjoy. So that's just my own opinion. Um, some of my friends disagree. Well, we've got a church of, of 10,000 and, and it's it's uh, somebody in the private sector uh, with with a, a business venture that big. They, they'd make that much money. So God wants us to have double honor, those kind of things. I just disagree, and I disagree wholeheartedly. So, Sari, pray for those guys when you recognize them. Let's go to Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Well, hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Cindy. Friday. Good afternoon. Oh boy! You know, I, I just—it just seems like these Fridays are coming up so quick. I—I I feel like <laughs> God is taking seconds and He's cut them in half, but He's made everything work out. Like all the clocks still work, and you know everything else works, but it's still happening. And and so, it happens more the older we get, huh, Cindy? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what? This is something I've never understood. I still don't. Um, it, it's Matthew eighteen, verse eighteen. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, Ray and I went to some pastor in Colorado a long, long time ago, and he had this opposite view of what everybody else was saying about binding and loosing, and I didn't understand it then. I don't understand it now, and if we're not supposed to do it, why is it written in, in, in the Word? So. It just it just does not make any sense to me. I, I wouldn't know what to lose, what to bind in earth, and I wouldn't know what to lose in earth or bind in heaven. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. So I'm going to leave this with you, and you can untangle me on it. Thank you, Cindy. I can help on this one. You know, everybody loses the context, and because we see so much false teaching about binding Satan, and and uh, we have power over Satan, um, uh, you, you know, we we don't really look at the text. And, and look at the context of that text. Um, Jesus is talking very specifically about discipline. In fact, in chapter 18, verse 17, is really the first use of the word church that we have in the gospel accounts. And there wasn't even a church. It's a called out assembly and really looks forward. It not only deals with the situation Jesus was facing every day in Jerusalem, but, but it, it, it sort of prophetically goes down into the age of the church. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, uh, if, you, if, if there's a man in sin, and we've just been talking about a man in sin in our study in 1 Corinthians, um, if he's sin, go to him privately. Um, if, he, if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then it says, if you refuse to listen to him, tell it to the church. And by that, we would assume uh, that, that's telling it to church leadership. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. And then comes your verse. 
I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's talking about discipline. Whatever you whatever you allow in church, um, well, that's just, that's, if, if you prevent sin, God will be with you. Um, if, if you um, allow sin in church, well, then God's going to take his hands off and let the church sort of go it's, it's, it's uh, um, on its own way. So this is directly relating to church discipline. And if we would, for example, at Calvary Chapel, if we allowed people to sin, if we affirmed homosexuality or people sleeping together who weren't married as heterosexuals, uh, if, if we allowed people to be drunks, uh, if people could get divorced for any reason at all, and the church didn't do anything about it, then God is simply saying, look, you're going to lose that on earth. If you're going to permit it, then it's going to be permitted in heaven. But if you bind it on earth, I'm going to be with you. And remember, our responsibility is to agree with Jesus on these things. And the truth is, we just don't deal with sin in the church the way we ought to in these days. So that's all that means. It has no connection at all to all this nonsense here about binding the devil and those kind of things. Um, it's a completely different context. And then in the next verse, verse 19, he says, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. That's just sort of a commentary on the verse that you asked about. So, Cindy, this is about discipline, what we permit in church versus what we say is wrong in church. And because we live in a time right now where good is called bad and bad is called good, um, there's a whole bunch of just loosing in heaven, and and God is simply saying, "I'll I'll leave you alone with yourselves." Remember, when we let G- when Jesus leaves us alone with ourselves in a church, it means He's no longer active in this church. In any church that permits sin, Jesus is prevented from walking around in the midst of the church. He's on the outside looking in, and there's also some great uh, instruction. Uh, in in Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. So, Cindy, that's what it means. Thanks very much. God bless you. Let's go to Whittier, California, and talk with George online, too. George, good to hear from you. How are you doing? Yeah, hello. Oh, doing better, uh, Pastor Ron. Good to hear from or good to talk to you. Um, well, I know you're always wearing your Bible hat, but this might take, on top of that hat, maybe your part of your psychology hat, if you have one. But <laughs> it, when we... Um, we read about forgiveness in the Bible, you know, forgive others. That's important. And then we know God is merciful and he forgives us. And so should that forgiveness from God kind of just give us a cue to forgive ourselves, but the things that happened before we knew God, um, it's kind Mm -hmm. of a little bit confusing because I'm not sure the Bible says a whole lot about that particular subject. Well, George, actually it does. You know, when, when uh, Paul says in Romans chapter eight, verse one, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That speaks directly to our sin before the Lord because that sin has been washed away. And I know exactly what you're talking about because over the years, I've had many, many, many people come to me and say, I can't forgive myself for I did this and I did that. And and I'll, I'll talk to them, well, well, did that happen before you were saved? And they'll say, yes, but I feel so guilty about it. Well, all of that has been washed away by the blood of Christ. It's as far from you. Your sin is as far from you as east is from west. Uh, 
Um, Jesus describes your sin as being thrown in the deepest, darkest ocean. And when we insist on going back and, and digging it out, then we're, we're really playing right into the devil's hands who's always accusing, who's always trying to condemn because he doesn't want us to walk in fellowship with the Lord. So the Bible speaks an awful lot about accepting the forgiveness of God. Now, George, um, uh, this isn't personal to you, but generally speaking, when people have a hard time forgiving themselves, the source of that is pride. It's almost like, well, I've done things that are so bad that God can't forgive me. He can forgive others, but he can't forgive me. If Jesus forgave the people that were spitting in his face and calling for his crucifixion, Father, forgive them for they know, know what they do. If, if Jesus can forgive a man like the Apostle Paul, who called himself the chief of all sinners, the worst of the worst, if God can forgive him, who are we to think that God won't forgive us? And this is a, a, a ploy of the enemy. The devil is always trying to get us to feel condemned, uh, trying to steal the joy. If God could forgive David for his sin with Bathsheba and his subsequent sin of murdering her, her husband, certainly he can forgive you. He has forgiven you. And what he wants is he wants all of us to enjoy the fact that that day we became born again, the day we surrounded, uh, uh, Jesus surrounded us and, and overwhelmed our hearts, that day we became in his eyes perfect. I see. And whenever, you, whenever you've got, yeah, whenever you've got the devil pounding on you about something that you did before you were saved, uh, and the same thing, by the way, is true. If you did something yesterday, you're saved, you did something yesterday, but you've genuinely sought forgiveness. I'm so sorry, God, I don't want to do that anymore. That sin, those sins are completely gone. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, yeah, in fact, I want to use that phrase, good answer, but yes. It makes <laughs> thank sense. you very, That's very right. much. Appreciate it, George. Okay. God bless you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh-huh. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We got a little bit of time left for some questions. Here is a question from Robert. Will you talk about wheat and tares in the modern church? Uh, Robert, I could talk all day about it, and it breaks my heart. Um, in the parable of the wheat and tares, um, uh, Jesus is telling a story um, uh, about um, a wheat field that was planted by the owner. Uh, of the of the uh, of the field and and uh, they wake up one day and they find there's a whole bunch of tares. Now tares was sort of phony wheat. Um, it, they looked just like wheat, but they didn't have the the nutritional value. They would just be gathered and thrown away. But to look at them, you can't tell the difference. And so when when in the parable he says an enemy did this, and then the servant said, "You want us to go tear the the the, the tares out and and." cast them in the fire. And Jesus says, no, save those for the harvesting angels at the end because you never know in going looking for tares, you might get some actual wheat. Now, that says, Robert, there is a very fine line between the lukewarm Christian, the real man and woman saved by God, but really not obedient and really not following the Lord closely, and, and those plants, tares planted by an enemy inside the church to destroy it, uh, tares are people that sort of want a life insurance policy, an eternal life insurance policy, but don't want to, to surrender their hearts to Jesus. There's a fine line, and sometimes it's really difficult 
to tell which is which. And so in the church today, Robert, uh, my church, every church, there's a whole bunch of people sitting in church every Sunday who aren't really born again. And they're the tares. They pray, they give, they'll stand up during worship songs. Some of them will even raise their hands. But if they're living in willful sin, they're not being obedient to the Lord. If they're not pursuing God's plan for their lives, well, then they're just pretenders. And uh, it is the tragedy of the modern church. It's been that way almost from the very beginning in the church. Uh, And it will always be that way, Jesus said, until the very end when those harvesting angels come. So, Robert, I hope that answers your question. Let's go to Sharon on line one from San Antonio. Sharon, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak. Um, Uh As far as the sins unforgiven of the past and the person Mm -hmm. trying to forgive themselves, um, Mm -hmm. you know, what I did that really helped, and maybe this could help someone who's listening. Okay. Um, I fasted for 40 days with no food but only water, and mm-hmm. um, over a 20-year time period, I did that six times. So every time of those six times of fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, um, every single time, I learned some more about and getting rid of sins, um, mm. getting rid of ancestral sins, the sins of myself. And when I first started out, I thought I had four sins because I thought I had been pretty good, you know. But he showed me all kinds of things, you know, like hundreds more than I had, like discontentment, anger, <laughs> get even, which is malice in the scriptures, um, being unkind, unfaithful, not trusting the Heavenly Father, so many things that I didn't realize were wrong to do. But what I found during all those fasting days is that every word in the Scripture that's described to us as being a negative character trait, those are things we need to get rid of, and the ones that are described as being good character traits are the ones we want to have. And so mm-hmm. what we do is we go and we confess to our Savior, the Messiah, I'm sorry that I was a person who was discontent. Please forgive me for all the times I've been discontent, and please remove that from me. Because otherwise what happens is the old sins of the past, like maybe somebody was rude to somebody, didn't invite them to lunch at work or whatever, okay, and just was outright mean to that person. Maybe they had meanness in their heart, and you don't want to be mean anymore. You want to be a kind person, loving, kind, faithful, good, peaceful with other people. Maybe you were unpeaceful. Okay, maybe you cause strife. So, so what happens is when we leave those unconfessed and just go with the thought that on the day that I accepted him in my heart and felt that warm, fuzzy feeling that he's there with me, that then all of my old sin is gone. It's like, no, mm-hmm. what he told me in all that fasting is that we still can confess that. And it, it that gets it the burden off of us, because when whatever is confessed and forgiven on earth is also forgiven in heaven. And so then Satan no longer has a grasp over you. He can no longer tell you, oh, you're that one that did those bad things. Okay, He cannot put that in your mind anymore, and you are set free. That when, when we were told that you know our Messiah died to set us free, it does not say 
he died to leave us stuck. So if he's setting me free, he's, he's making it where it's not just that in the books that are kept in heaven, that my name is lifted as that I'm set free of that. It's also in my mind, my heart, my soul, my subconscious. I believe that he fully changes us, you know, in the way that DNA uh, describes our physical self and of who we are. I believe there must be something similar to DNA on a spiritual level that maybe we cannot see, but that exists. And so when we get forgiven of the stuff of our past, whether it was discontentment or, uh, you know, over-drinking or something that someone did, yeah. over-eating, gossiping, being rude, unkind, ungentle, all of the negative descriptions that are in the Scripture, whatever they yeah. are, if we did those, then when we confess them in the now, we we can get free of them. So what we And it says, don't sweep the house clean, otherwise seven more, even worse, can come in. So, yeah, Sharon, Sharon, let me let me let me respond to you. Let me Sharon, let me stop. Let me stop you. Let me respond uh, because you're 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 now going into uh, things that don't fit the context of what you're saying. So, uh, if you listen on the on on the uh, on the radio, I'll uh, I'll address your comment. Let me first of all commend you for fasting. Um, I, I've never been on a forty day fast, and uh, that kind of spiritual discipline. Uh, I think this is what fasting is for and fasting will accomplish if you can do this isaiah 58 is the definitive chapter in the bible on fasting um, um if, if you fast to seek the lord because you want to be cleansed by god um, you, you want your heart to be right before him um then then that's a pure motivation for fasting and i'm i'm, I'm thrilled that you have practiced that spiritual discipline on six different occasions no less and God has shown you some things. But the other thing I want you to understand, and I, I really had to jump in because uh, we've got lots and lots of listeners, and I, I want to be sure they understand the appropriate approach to this. We were set free on the cross. Romans 3.24 makes it really clear. We were justified just as if we'd never sinned. We couldn't be any cleaner than that moment when you, you described as the fuzzy feelings. We surrendered our life to Jesus, and we were born again. That's a wonderful, wonderful feeling, but it's at that moment that we are free. And if we continue to be bound by guilt after that, then it's simply a matter of faith. We don't really believe what the Bible tells us. Um, I don't have to, to be free of a sin that I committed before I gave my life to Jesus because Jesus set me free. I get questions, Sharon, all the time about deliverance ministries. We don't need to be delivered because we already have been delivered. And that's why Paul says, and he doesn't wait for six occasions of 40-day fasting. He just examines yourselves daily. And you know what? When I look at my heart, if I'm with Jesus today and I mess up a couple of times, um, uh, before I go to bed tonight, tomorrow morning when I get up, I'll probably do it all over again and just say, okay, Lord, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. If there's any wicked way in me, show me, Lord. I don't want anything to be between us. And, and, and the Holy Spirit will bring that to light. And if the Holy Spirit brings that sin to light and we've repented of that, then we are free. Uh, Paul writes to the church at Rome, Therefore sin shall no longer have dominion over you or shall no longer be your master. So what we've got to do is be 
Having the faith to believe in spite of what we feel, in spite of identifying the lies from the enemy who's trying to condemn us, we've got to recognize that when we are trying to, when, when we're being condemned for the things in our past, things that we have repented of, things that, that were washed by the blood of Jesus when, when we were born again, we no longer have to deal with those things. You also said one other thing in that comment, and I, I, I asked my producer to make sure I heard correctly. But you talked about ancestral sins. There's no such thing as ancestral sins or generational curses. Um, the blood of Jesus wipes us perfectly clean. Our sin is as far from us as east is from west. It can't get any farther than that. It doesn't say north and south. Then we can have some issues. But what we've got to do is remember that any condemnation comes from the enemy. And that drives you farther from God. Conviction that is of the Holy Spirit drives us closer to God. And that's how we tell the difference. The man or the woman who's feeling condemned, you know, I don't deserve to be in church. How could God love me? Uh, that's, just, that's just the lies of the enemy. And what we've got to do is, is really understand his word to the point that we believe it in our heart. And I don't deal, again, that Romans 3.24, we are justified freely when at the cross. Just as if I'd never sinned, my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and there's not a single charge or accusation against me. And that's really, really important because otherwise we get into this thinking that, well, if I do this, then I'll be free. Instead of walking in the freedom that we all have. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I don't think we really believe that, Sharon. Because if we did, every time condemnation would come, every time, then we would simply reject it as an attack from the enemy and we wouldn't let it interrupt our fellowship with God. Very, very, very important difference. So I hope that makes sense to you, Sharon, and to the rest of you out there. Uh, you can't be any freer than you are the moment you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. And if you are currently in sin, unrepentant, willful sin, then you need to get right with Jesus. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And John's context there is believers and fellowship together with the Lord. And the only way we can have fellowship with the Lord is to walk with a clean slate. And that is the born-again Christian's birthmark our birthright to walk with Jesus every day in the fullness of being cleansed. Thank you for tuning in this week. It's been a good week, except for the one day we had technical problems. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Go to church this Sunday. Serve somebody else. Go for somebody not for you and see what God will do. God bless you. We'll see you next week on The Word to Stand Up for Life. Bye-bye.